Thanks for listening to the podcast from River's Edge Church in Spokane, Washington. For more information or to gather with us on Sundays, please visit our website at respokane.org. We hope this message is impactful for you and others as we pursue the way of Jesus together. Hi, River's Edge, and welcome to the Midweek Podcast, where we explore what it looks like to function and even flourish as disciples of Jesus in the midst of all that the coronavirus has brought. Just days ago, we celebrated Easter as a community, albeit from our separate homes, and as we did, it really dawned on me what a historical moment that was. In fact, it may have been the first Sunday in 2,000 years since Jesus himself, in which church buildings sat empty right across the world on an Easter Sunday, and it only drove home what a strange moment this is for the church and for humanity. But in the midst of this moment, we want to flourish as followers of Jesus. And in light of the fact that we just celebrated Easter, I wanted to use our midweek podcast this week to talk about hope and specifically to explore what it looks like to live with hope in a COVID-19 world. If you tuned in on Sunday, we talked about the resurrection and the hope that we have. Our hope is not to escape this world for heaven, but to see heaven come to this world, to see this world redeemed, ransomed, renewed, set free, flooded with the presence of God as the waters cover the sea. Our hope, to be precise, is that what God did for Jesus that first Easter Sunday, he will one day do in full to the cosmos. The old will be caught up and incorporated into something stunningly new and incorruptible and eternal. The entire universe, along with all those who have placed their faith in Jesus, will be resurrected into abundant and eternal life in a physical place, in this place, reborn and reimagined. And this hope is worth exploring and parsing out because I think generally our understanding of the resurrection and our future hope is a bit weak across the American evangelical world. And if we don't understand what our future hope is, then it's really hard to jump straight into application and talk about living in light of our future hope. As one uh, example, uh, my wife and I bought a book for our kids this last weekend that was an Easter devotional book relating a bunch of the major stories of the Bible to Jesus and Easter. But I was stunned that every devotional ended by announcing that our future hope was to go to heaven forever as our final destination. At the end of each page, each devotional, you're going to heaven forever. You'll be in heaven forever. Isn't that awesome? And at some point, I just had to stop reading and put the book down. And I hate being that guy. I wasn't trying to be petty, but our kids already have a basic understanding 
that heaven is not our forever home. Moses is four, and he knows that if we die today, we'll go to heaven to be with Jesus, but he also knows that we won't stay there. That's not our final and forever home. That's not what we're waiting for. We're waiting for Jesus to return and inaugurate the new heavens and the new earth. We're waiting for our own future resurrection and the redemption of the entire physical universe. And that actually becomes important as we attempt to live out our hope in the midst of this bizarre time that we're living through. So I think as followers of Jesus, we we really need to sort out in our own hearts and minds what our future hope is. But this morning's podcast is not devoted to thinking accurately about the resurrection, as important as that is, or even exploring how that shapes our attitude toward the physical and the here and now, as important as that is. Instead, What we want to do this morning is to explore how we live in hope day in and day out. How does our future resurrection hope, which we talked about on Sunday, shape our Wednesday mornings? Uh, We want to get practical and talk about the posture of our hearts and minds that we should be taking in the midst of the coronavirus. Uh, What does it mean to live with hope? Does it mean that everything is awesome all the time? I I think of the popular Nike t-shirt that says, no bad days in all caps. Uh, I mean, is that us as followers of Jesus? Does living with hope mean that we, we never have bad days, that we're never sad, that we're never scared, that we put on a smile and tell others to do the same? Uh, Does it mean that we're eternal optimists uh, or even idealists? Uh, Should we always be expecting the best in the here and now because of who Jesus is? Uh, Should we go around telling everyone uh, to just, hey, put on a smile and stop crying so much? I mean, in the end, it's all going to be okay. So shouldn't we all just cheer up and smile and get on with our lives? Um, Or, some would argue, maybe we're supposed to go the other way. Does hope teach us to be pessimistic about this life? Uh, I mean, we're the ones who know uh, that this life and this world are falling apart uh, and that the only thing we can hope in is the age to come. Our kids are really into Winnie the Pooh right now. And one of the characters, most of you know, is Eeyore, who is this eternal pessimist. He expects everything to go wrong. He expects everything to go poorly. And it kind of does go poorly, but he's never caught off guard. He's never let down in a sense because his expectations are so dismally low all of the time. And that's sort of the the tension that I want to wrestle with. Should we be realists who only stare at the hardships of this world and the tough things and what's projected on the news and allow ourselves to be shaped by that? Um, Should we expect things to be bad and perhaps even get worse over time? How does our sense of hope relate to um, things like what we're going through right now with the coronavirus and uh, how long we'll be in quarantine? Uh, when I uh, sit and you sit and we look at our uncertain future, what should we see? 
What should we sense? Uh, how should I feel in this moment? What does it mean sort of day by day as a heart posture to live with biblical hope? And I think the ultimate answer is that we are to carry a mix of what we'd call realism on the one hand and optimism on the other hand. And I think we're meant to hold those two in tension. On the one hand, we are to be realists, which means that at a basic level, we accept the reality of our circumstances. Some of us are very optimistic people, and we love to kind of rally ourselves and others, and we're idealists, which means that we have this vision for the way that things could be, or perhaps even the way things should be. And so our default is to say in, in any situation, hey, it's okay, everybody. Take heart, have hope. We're going to get through this coronavirus thing uh, any day now, probably by next Tuesday, definitely by next Thursday. We just have to keep our heads up and keep our spirits high and power through this thing. Surely we're almost there. Surely it will just be a few days and we can power through. We have this sense of optimism that's kind of wrapped up or even grounded in a general sense of hope. And we tend to see the world through rose-colored glasses. We see the way that things could be or should be, or even the way that we want them to be. And we're accustomed to motivating others and ourselves into that future. You are, uh, if this is you, you're the visionary leader, you're the coach, you're you know the Zumba teacher at the gym or whatever. They just, come on guys, we can do this. Uh, the problem is that when it comes to things like the coronavirus, you can't just power through it. Uh, the circumstances are beyond our control. And if you're a dyed-in-the-wool optimist, then you'll know it because you're dying right now. Your optimism and your idealism are likely grinding against the sad reality of our circumstances. And honestly, uh, a, a true optimist in these situations tends to kind of burn up or burn out after a certain period of time to become despondent. Uh, there's too big of a disconnect between what you will, what you wish, and what actually is. The Eeyores of this world might be doing great right now, but somehow you as the optimist are grinding away in this sputter of emotional pain, unwilling and unable to accept the reality that is. Instead, we are to embrace both. We're to embrace the ideal, that which could be and should be, that which we're hoping for and praying for, while at the same time embracing the reality of what actually is. And I, I recently heard this tension or this paradox labeled as the Stockdale paradox, uh, which is named after Jim Stockdale who was an American general who was captured and tortured during the Vietnam War, get this, for seven years. For seven years, he sat in a prison camp in Vietnam facing rounds of torture, not knowing if each day would be his last, not knowing if he would ever be rescued or escape from that place or if he was going to die there. And eventually, 
he was rescued and he was reflecting back on his experience and he said the first people to die in captivity were the optimists and that really struck me when i read that Uh, one because i am an optimist and an idealist and i wouldn't want to be the first to die but also because it sounds counterintuitive How could people who were brimming over with hope for the present be the first to die? But Stockdale said, and I quote, they died of a broken heart. They kept thinking that things would get better quickly and that they'd be released quickly. And when they weren't, it literally did them in. It it killed them. Instead, Stockdale argued, the key to survival was to combine realism and hope. And this is a quote from Stockdale. He said it this way. He said, this is a very important lesson. You must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end, which you can never afford to lose, with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they may be. And I want to read that one more time because it speaks so powerfully to the current situation that many of us find ourselves in. He says this, You must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end, which you can never afford to lose, with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of our current reality, whatever they may be. What he's saying is, hey, we have to carry both at the same time. You have to carry realism and hope at the same time. You have to be ruthlessly honest about the situation that we're facing, but never lose your sense of faith and hope that things will get better in the end. I think that the common temptation right now is to argue about how things could have gone differently. What if we'd identified this earlier? What if China had done X, Y, or Z? What if our government had acted sooner? What if they're overreacting? But a lot of those sort of arguments and finger pointing and blame shifting is sort of beside the point. Realism doesn't play the blame game or get sucked into partisan politics. Realism simply accepts that what is happening is happening. And it's happening right now. And you can't avoid it. And you have to accept it. If you fight against it, if you live in this place of unrealistic idealism, then you're almost forced to blame others and even operate in this sense of denial about what's happening, to label everything an overreaction. Why haven't things lined up with your idealism? Well, not only will you be tempted to blame someone in explaining the gap, but you're also still stuck in your house with a broken heart. You'll be the first to die of a broken heart in captivity, to use the Stockdale analogy. So on the one hand, we can't assume that living with hope means that we're always smiling and we're idealistic about everything and we can just think happy thoughts and push through all of our problems and everything will go back to normal very quickly. That actually sets us up for despondency and unrealistic expectations and sort of warring against the reality that is. We, we don't want to be 
the first to die of a broken heart, the first to emotionally perish in our captivity. Uh, You have to accept reality as it is. But on the other hand, you can't just be what the culture would call a realist or even a pessimist and only see the problem and what's in front of you. You can't just focus on the brutal real and not have some sense of hope for the future. God will bring us through. Jesus is back from the dead. New creation is coming to bear on this reality. God can work out all things for our good. The God of love, the God of redemption, the God of resurrection is with you in your captivity. And therefore, there's a whole world of possibilities that are available to you right here and right now because of the death, burial, and resurrection of King Jesus. And in the grand scheme of things, you and all of creation will be rescued. We carry this unbreakable hope that infuses everything that we do that does teach us joy and peace when the world is coming undone. Because our hope is not based uh, on the economy or or our financial status or what job we have or our health or the health of those around us, we carry something that's much deeper than that, Uh, this hope that's rooted in a different reality. Uh, Romans 8 might be my favorite single chapter uh, in all of Scripture. And it says this. This is just a few verses from Romans 8. It says, Our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purposes, meaning he's at work right here, right now, drawing out his redemptive purpose. What then shall we say in response to all of these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? And who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present or the future, which both feel uncertain to us right now, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We were meant to live with this radical hope for our future and for our present. In fact, as a disciple of Jesus, you are not allowed to imagine a present or a future without him. Nothing can separate you from him in the here and now. And there is nothing that God cannot work for your good right here, right now. 
God endeavors to graciously give you all things along with his very son. And as a result, Romans 8 says, we are more than conquerors in the here and now. We don't just stare at our circumstances. We gaze upon the God of glory, our resurrected King, alive and in our midst. And as we do, we're stirred to dream about what is and what could be. A simple pessimism uh, won't do. We have to hold them in tension. A a hope-infused realism. In fact, uh, realism itself is a little misleading because if we could really see behind the curtain of our physical reality, we would see some of what John sees in the book of Revelation. We would see the resurrected and glorified Jesus on the throne at the right hand of the Father holding our victory in his hands. And if the tomb is really empty, then we have to factor that in to what we call reality or realism. To be a realist, by my definition, means that you see the empty tomb. It means that you see Jesus enthroned above the universe, ruling and reigning until every single one of his enemies will at last be made a footstool under his feet. To be a realist by my definition, means that you understand Jesus is powerfully at work in this world and that he ultimately promises to return and make all things new again. So, big picture, as disciples of Jesus, we embrace what the culture would describe as both realism and optimism or accepting reality as it is, but also operating with a sense of hope for the present and the future. If you only see the brutal reality, you will miss out on hope and operate in pessimism and despair. But if you go the other way and you only operate in idealism, then you can easily slip into frustration and perhaps even insanity. You'll be the first to die of a broken heart if you can't balance it with the facts of reality. I think living with hope in the here and now means that we strike that balance. But there's one more concept that I want to introduce before we close. One more image that I think should deeply shape how we operate as people of hope in the midst of the coronavirus. And that's Jesus at the tomb of Lazarus in John chapter 11. And just to recap this story, some of you know it, some of you don't. But Jesus has been teaching people about the kingdom of God. He's moving from place to place. And he gets word from some of his closest friends, Mary and Martha, that their brother, who's also a good friend of Jesus, uh, is sick and dying. His name is Lazarus. And so Jesus curiously starts by staying where he's at for another two days. And then he starts the journey to go and see his friend. But Lazarus has already died as Jesus is on the way. Uh, In fact, by the time Jesus arrives, we're told that Lazarus has already been in the tomb for four days. And this is where things get really interesting. Jesus has already told his disciples on the road, on their journey to see Lazarus, he's already told his disciples that Lazarus is dead 
and that Jesus himself is going to raise Lazarus back to life. So as Jesus approaches this scene, he already knows that this future is out front. He has every reason to have hope. He knows Lazarus is going to rise again from the dead. And if I were Jesus, I can tell you exactly what I would do in this situation. I would stroll into this uh, funeral-like scene, big smile on my face, and just say, hey, stop crying, everyone. It's going to be okay. Like God's going to raise him from the dead. You have no need to be sad. Cheer up. I'm happy. You should be happy. God is going to make everything right. Um, Come on. That's what I would do. But Jesus takes a very different approach. At first, he carries hope into the situation. He says to Martha, your brother will rise again. To which Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Martha expresses the hope that you and I carry of future resurrection at the end of the age. And Jesus confirms that hope. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. But the most amazing thing to me is that Jesus comes and he enters into their pain. He's rooted in hope. He knows what the future holds. But it says multiple times in this passage that he was moved with sadness, that he joined in with those who were mourning, that he wept. Real tears of hurt and pain. He allowed his heart to join in this sadness and mourning over the tragedy of death. He doesn't rush into solutions or announcing future hope or telling everyone to just cheer up. He actually starts by weeping with those who are weeping. And I think in a very real sense, this is the church. Uh, This is who we are to be in the world. We carry the hope of resurrection into the brokenness of the world. We make a clear announcement about that future hope, but we also share in the tears and in the pain. We don't just offer solutions from a distance and tell everyone to cheer up and have faith. Uh, Where people are dying The church should be there. And by the church, I mean followers of Jesus, his living body, at doing what Jesus did. He's full of hope. He's rooted in hope. He even announces that hope, but he also mourns with those who mourn. He weeps with those who are weeping. Jesus is angry about the reality of death, this dark and alien intruder into God's world. Uh, We allow ourselves to shed tears with those who are shedding tears, even as we extend hope to a dying world, even as we tell others about the reality of future resurrection, even as we pray in the here and now for God to move and heal and raise people from the dead. We hold all of that intention. 
But if new creation is to break into the old creation, it will come through God's hope-filled people who are lamenting over the pain of the world, whose tears are held in the very tears of Christ as he weeps over the pain of the world. So first, we slow down enough to feel the weight of it. And then we pray over God's new creation. We pray new creation into it. Faith and lament, hope and sadness, they are not opposites. In fact, we see both fully present in the same moment. We see uh, in Jesus at the tomb of Lazarus that he has both. He's full of faith and hope and resurrection power even as he mourns with those who mourn. And we see this again in Romans 8. If you go back to that great chapter of scripture, which I would encourage you to be reading and meditating on during this time. But Romans 8 tells us that creation itself waits in eager anticipation for the children of God to be revealed. It says creation itself is eager for the resurrection, but it's currently bound up in frustration and its bondage to decay. But creation itself will be liberated, Romans 8 says, as part of this new heavens and new earth. Until then, the whole of creation is groaning as in the pains of childbirth. And not only that, but it says that we ourselves groan inwardly as we wait for the new creation. And and this is the beauty of the paradox that that I'm attempting to capture in this episode, that new creation people are also groaning people. We're groaning in the old creation as the Spirit helps us in our weakness, as the Spirit groans along with us. And so paradoxically, To be people of hope means that we have both realism and optimism. It means that we carry joy and lament at the same time. In fact, we're told in scripture that Jesus was anointed with the oil of gladness, meaning that he was perhaps the most joyful person who ever lived. He was overflowing with joy. He was overflowing with grace and love and peace. He was firmly grounded in the goodness of the Father and in our future resurrection hope. He is the resurrection and the life. And yet, He knew how to mourn with those who were mourning, to groan inwardly in the old creation that is longing for the new. And I think we should do the same. I think that's part of what it means to be the church, to be people of hope and to fulfill the vocation and calling of the body of Christ on earth. Where there's death and sadness and decay and job loss and whatever else, we groan inwardly. We weep at the tomb of Lazarus. We allow ourselves to feel the weight uh, of, of death and joblessness and pain and old creation. But we also carry an unbreakable hope and we announce the hope of resurrection over everyone who is held in bondage to their fear of death. And as we announce this future hope, we also operate in expectation 
We say, yes, Martha, God will raise everyone up at the end of the age, but he also raises people up in the middle of this age. And we have hope for today because the resurrection God is with us. Let's pray. Lord, we lift our hearts and minds up to you now. We lift our bodies up to you as many of us are uh, fasting today and we'll be fasting regularly on Wednesdays until uh, this thing is over. We uh, lift up our bodies, our minds, our hearts, our spirits to you. And Lord, we uh, first and foremost recognize our future hope. Um, that we will have trials in this life, we will have tribulations, but you promise to raise us up from the dead into a totally renewed universe in which you are all in all, in which your goodness and your glory uh, cover this universe, soak this universe as the waters cover the sea. And so we carry that hope, Lord, in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of isolation, in the midst of uncertainty. Uh, We are unbroken by our circumstances because of your goodness, because of your future promises, because of the grace and hope that you've extended to us. And so we walk in that hope, Lord. We walk in that grace. We see reality as it is. We don't sugarcoat it, we don't reject it, we don't deny it, but we accept the brutal facts of reality and what we see around us, and yet we also accept the reality that you have conquered Satan's sin and death, that death no longer has power over us, that that nothing in this world now has power over us, but you sit enthroned above all of it, Lord. And so may we practice what I would call true realism, where we actually see who you are and we see you powerfully at work in the world. And Lord, would you uh, send us out into this world in your peace, just as you sent Jesus to us, the one who was the resurrection, the one who was the life and is the life, and yet he was able to stand at the tomb of Lazarus, knowing future resurrection was on the horizon for everyone, knowing that individual resurrection was about to happen to Lazarus, and yet still he entered into the pain. Lord, may we go about Um, carrying this radical hope full of expectation for the future and for the present. And yet would we be people who groan inwardly in the words of Roman in Romans eight, who are willing to to come alongside those who are uh, weeping and in pain and struggling and to enter into that with them. Uh, Lord, show us what it means to be resurrection people, to be people of hope. We want to do that today, uh, even as many of us are praying and fasting uh, for the end of the coronavirus, for you to sustain us and to sustain our brothers and sisters uh, all over the world who have it harder than we do. Uh, Lord, show us what it looks like to engage in old creation, carrying the hope of new creation, and to see the new uh, break into the old, uh, even as we weep over the state of the old. Uh, Teach us, Lord, as your disciples, as your followers, to be people of hope. In Jesus' name, amen.